This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. Yeah. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. All right, welcome into the podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue, and I'm going to do Scotty a favor and allow him the honors of introing the podcast today. So, Scotty, take it away. Why? What, what's happening? What's what, what's what's going well, it's, on? It's your Christmas. What do you mean? What episode what? is it? Uh, let me check. Hold on. Hold <laughs> on. I didn't. I wasn't prepared for this. Um, oh, it's episode sixty nine. Noise. <laughs> He's been waiting for that since we started this back on episode 42, so I wanted to I give him gonna, the honors. I was going to say, I think we've been counting down to this one. Yeah. Now the next big episode, the next big milestone is 420. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's quite a ways away. Yeah, I'll be dead by we're, then. We're going to have to start doing a few a week. The, the kids that will be doing this now will be like, they haven't even been born yet at episode 420. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that'll be, that's quite a ways away. Um, anyway, so since we last spoke, Three games for the Bruins. Um, loss on home ice to the Oilers. I want to say it was 4-2 or 4-3. I don't see forget. Ended up being 5-3, I think. 5-3, yeah. Um, then they went uh, down to New Jersey, took care of business against the Devils, came back home. And for the first time, and I was it has it been two years since they played the Canadians? Two calendar years or no? Not quite. Just about. It was February 2020. Okay. So it was, I don't yeah. know, whatever that comes out to be, yeah, 20, 20 months. months whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I'll just throw it to you guys. You know, what, what comes to your mind after the last slate of games? Um, you know, your first, I guess, thought to, to talk about today. Well, it's certainly encouraging to see them bounce back over the weekend because that Edmonton game was, it was winnable. Um, not saying they should have won, but... It was there. They take a lead into the third period and then just totally collapse, just play like garbage in the third. Too many turnovers, just bad decisions, bad puck management, and you can't do that against a team as good as Edmonton. You can't turn it over to Leon Dreisaitl on the slot or lose body position on Leon Dreisaitl on the slot. Like They actually did a, a fairly decent job against McDavid. I think about as as well as you can reasonably expect. I thought the Bergeron line did well against them. I thought the fourth line did pretty well against them. 
McAvoy, McAvoy and Forbort. I'll give some credit to Forbort here. Thought they held their own. Like again, defended the McDavid line about as well as I think you can expect. And then Dreisaitl feast on everyone else and had a huge game. Um, so that was, you know, that was concerning because at that point that dropped the Bruins to two and five against teams with winning records. So you start to feel like, geez, you know, they, they're in the lower half of the, of the Eastern conference. Like, is this just what they are? Like, are they a team that can't beat good teams? Well, Scott, we still haven't seen a good team since then. Right. But at least they bounced back and did what they needed to do against the devils and Canadians. The devils, by the way, who did have a winning record going in, um, and have tripped up here recently, including the loss of the Bruins. But, you know, they haven't been horrible. They And they were coming off two good wins going into that. I think they beat the Islanders and Panthers and had blown both of them out. So they were, they were playing well going into that game. And the Bruins took care of business and pretty much dominated most of that game, ended up winning 5-2. Um, the Devils did make uh, a push at one point in the third period, and the and the Bruins held their own, and they got through it, and then they added on to their lead. Um, and then the Canadians, look, they're not a very good team this year. So, again, it's, okay, yeah, you can say the Bruins didn't really prove much, but, like, the alternative is struggling against a, a lower, um, against a lesser team. And at least they didn't do that. They took care of business against the Canadians as well. So, yes, they will still have to prove themselves against the top teams, uh, you know, when they face them going forward. But considering who was on the schedule and what they needed to do over the weekend, it was an encouraging bounce back. My takeaways were that McAvoy can and does do everything. He does everything they need him to do in whatever role on the power play. He scored to was the Charlie game against the Canadians, four goals by Charlie's. But in that game, McAvoy just showed you everything, like all of the best parts of his game. Uh, And so it was kind of a showcase for him. I mean, obviously, everyone already knows he's such a key player on the team, but just to see have him have everything kind of just fall into place all at once in one game, you can, I mean, you you just have to be confident with him. And by the way, does that a day after a three assist game. So a five point weekend for him. Yeah. I mean, McAvoy is. He's, he's, he's shown everybody in the hockey world since he's debuted in the league, you know, just how good he is. Um, but, you know, I think he's lacked that, that you know, I shouldn't say lacked it because he was, I think, fifth in Norris voting last year. But a lot of the, a lot of the you know, NHL pundits like to look at the, the points from the back end when, when talking about the best defenseman in the league. And rightfully so. Like, I get it's, it's, it's a part of it that separates, you know, elite defenseman from average defenseman. But McAvoy, again, was playing behind Tory Krug offensively for quite some time in the power play. And I think, and then Matt Grizzick last year for most of the season, and now taking over that first unit, um, along with just being more confident and poised in the league, you know, everybody's about to see just how good he can be offensively. And, and that's the next step for McAvoy. And I think we all knew he was capable of doing it when he got the chance, and now he's going, now he's getting the chance. And um, the team needed him to because obviously scoring has been, you know, not fruitful this year for the Bruins, but he he's really just taken over and he's capable of doing it. And not all defensemen score the way he does when he crashes the net like that. That's not something that every defenseman has in their skill set. So he's been able to score like high slot point and crashing the net. So he's just kind of shown his versatility as a goal scorer. And Cassidy has been saying all year, 
we that's the one thing we want him to take another step forward. Not that he already wasn't good, but they thought that he could grow even more in that, and he was kind of making a case that and just showing you that he's been working on it and that he has improved in that category. And, and by the way, sorry, Scott, you can talk. No, no, yeah, go ahead. Um, this is kind of a little bit off the McAvoy subject if you want to finish with your thought. Yeah, so I was going to say, and I think he's getting, I think he's gotten smarter about when to jump into the attack like that and crash down the slot. Um, because I think there's been times in the past where he was a little... He'd get a little reckless with it or, you know, didn't have cover and you'd get caught up ice a little well, bit. Well, you see what happened to Clifton where you pick the exactly. wrong point to jump in and then you, you give up a breakaway the other way. You're right. You never see that happen to McAvoy. <sighs> I wouldn't say never. Like, like especially when they're trailing, you, sometimes you do because he takes even more risks, which is understandable. But, um, but I do think he's gotten smarter. And, like, he even talked about this Sunday night after the game, that goal where he barrels into the slot and runs over Nick Felino in the process. Um, mm. And he said, you know, he felt like even if he didn't score there or, you know, or the puck gets poked away or whatever, he felt like he had enough speed to quickly turn back and get back on defense if he needed to. And just like, just to have that awareness, like that's the kind of thing that you can't expect when you're younger because you're just not used to the speed of the league yet, and that takes some time to happen. And it feels like he's there now where, like, he he's reading the game. He knows, you know, what he's capable of and whether he can get to a puck or not, whether he's going to be able to get back or not if he has to. And, like, that's, that's a tough thing for defensemen to be able to gauge. Like, as you mentioned, we saw Clifton misjudge that badly. Um, but McAvoy seems to be getting a lot better in that area. And just to touch on, you know... The Norris conversation or, or, you know, guys needing points to be in that. McAvoy is now sixth in points per game among defensemen this yeah. season. And the only guys ahead of him are Roman Yossi, Adam Fox, Tony D'Angelo, Quinn Hughes, and Victor Hedman. So, like, that's... Yeah, and how many of those guys have played more games than them? So, I, I wonder well, what the points per, per game. game. Oh, is that what you yeah. say, per game? Okay, sorry, yeah, I didn't hear that part. Um, Yeah, I, look, I think McAvoy, I fully expect him to, you know, I think he's easily going to sur- surpass 50 points. I think, I think... Being in the 60s in points is totally realistic. And, you know, I mean, we'll see what happens with him. I mean, I, I think the sky's the limit for McAvoy. I've always thought that. Um, I'm glad you brought up his comments after the game, Scott, because that's what I was going to say as well. And you say, you know, he has the awareness. I agree with that. When I heard those comments, I, I, I another name uh, or, or word came to my mind, and that was he has the confidence yeah. Yeah. Um, to do so. He, he, that, the way he said that to the, to the reporters, he said he was like, Look, worst case, best case scenario, I score a goal. Worst case scenario, I know I'm good enough to get back on D. And he knows how good he is and at this level. I, I think the two players on the Bruins where you can tell just play with that, that like top level of confidence. The, mo- the two most confident players on the team are McAvoy and Marshawn, and you need them to keep that confidence. And they have yeah. no reason to not be, so they kind of play at that extra level where you see them just go in. <laughs> like They don't yeah. qu- second-guess some, uh, some of the things they do. And... That's why. Yeah, and, and, and you know the play with Clifton, and I'm gonna I want to uh, throw back to you because I know you wanted to um, bring up something else, but just quickly on the Clifton play, the biggest difference between the two plays because I, they're they're very different plays, right? I mean, McAvoy doesn't interchange with Zaboro right at their at their own blue line, so he's the plays in front of him, and and he's he's so he sees Zaboro make a nice play up to Taylor Hall, so McAvoy 
you know, with his quick skating ability, is able to kind of, you know, cross over backwards and, and, and shoot up the ice and, um, you know, make the play we just talked about. But Clifton, you know, with McAvoy, that play is, the risk is not nearly as high as what Clifton did. Clifton's pinching when the puck's already in the Canadians' offensive zone. So it, it's just a much higher risk of a play. And quite frankly, he didn't need to be there because you got three forwards in the slot anyway that are trying to score. So, you know, understand when to and when not to, to take those chances. But you guys already, you know, kind of said that. Yeah, well, the Clifton one I'm talking about was the one where he pinched in the Bruins offensive end. Yeah, that's what I meant. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant, yeah. Yeah, and it ends up in a goal by Armia, like, yeah. very quickly after yeah. that. But so something else I wanted to touch on that's related to the McAvoy um power play goal where he was crashing the net we see Felino able to step into this lineup and make a difference on the power play they replace Taylor Hall in front of the net with Felino, and it has worked so far I mean I have a few feelings about that role in front of the net clearly Cassidy doesn't feel that Hall was doing a good enough job in that area and in like on paper Hall on that power play was like it looked great. It looked like it should have panned out better. But the role that the Bruins need him to play on that power play, the way that Cassidy likes to structure things, is somebody that is better out in front of the net. Mm-hmm. Felino did a really good job. <laughs> he got run into, like you said, but that's because he was in front of the net. He was yeah. where he needed to be. And I don't know, Scott, what you thought from... I know you had all your grades... And he got a what was it? Uh, no. Incomplete. Well, he got an incomplete. He got an at incomplete. That, at that point, he had only played a game and a half. So now that you've seen him and you've seen him on this power play, what are your feelings? I mean, he's brought. I would say so far he's brought what the Bruins need him to bring, especially on the power play, which they're. It's almost they're two different roles, even though technically Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno were both playing net front. They're doing different things there. Like Hall is more. He's going to be like off to the side. He's retrieving pucks. Like he's 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 more mobile in that role and can almost pop out to different positions and then try to like get a stick on try to tip shots which he he did have one on a Bergeron shot um and be able to collect the rebounds whereas Felino's more of the traditional net front where it's like he's going to set screens, he's going to, you know, kind of make it messy around the net. Yeah, like Nick Ritchie when they they had success with Richie on the power play. I know towards the end of the year he wasn't really getting time on the power play, but he's playing that similar style as Felino is right now when they both tend to have that kind of success with their size um and what they do on the power play out front. Yeah, and I think and I think Felino's just better at it and you know, whether that's Richie or Hall because he's done it. Like he's played that role for most of his career and you know, Richie wasn't always involved in the power play. Um, and Hall has always played somewhere else. Them like he's usually played on his strong side on the half wall, sometimes on his weak side. But I think he said very early in his career in Edmonton, he played kind of like a net front role. So it's not like it was completely foreign, but it's also not where he's most comfortable. And now, I think you, in a way, you strengthen both of your units because I think. What Felino brings is more of what that top unit needed, where it's like there's already enough guys who can move the puck and rotate around and, you know, get their shots. And 
yes, it's tempting to put Hall there and be like, all right, now we have five guys who can do that. But sometimes, like, sometimes less is more. Sometimes the simpler thing that Felino brings, staying much closer to the net and not really going anywhere, fits better. And now you get Hall in your second unit, and now he can drive that unit and and create there, which um, you know is a unit that hasn't really found its groove either yet. So I think I think that uh, having too many chefs in the kitchen is a real thing uh, on a power play. I think that you know having the the five most talented players on one unit isn't always the best situation for for what you kind of said because um, you have too many options now, and and the when you. Options are a good thing, but sometimes too many options can be problematic because you, the players start to overthink. And I know Cassidy says that that unit could be interchangeable. Or like, all right, Hall, Hall's the goal line guy, but you know those guys can have a feel for it. Move but the one thing you don't want to do on your own power play is is kill it for the penalty killers by overpassing. And you know, I just think that with Taylor Hall in the second unit, he can go back to doing what he was more comfortable. Uh, like when he was in New Jersey and when he was on the on the half wall, um, and I just think that yeah, I like for example uh, down in Tampa Bay, right? You know, you Alex Kalorn is not in the top five in talent on that team, but he's been net front for one of the best power players in the league for for three, four, five years now. Like you can make a case for, I mean, if I'm thinking out loud, their top unit is probably Kucherov, Hedman, Stamkos, Point, and Kalorn. Right, so who's not on that unit? Okay, somebody like Anthony Sorelli. Um, you know, so I think the Bruins putting Nick Foligno in, in that spot. I just think that it, it kind of lets the top end guys. Not, he knows his role in that unit, Where, yeah. and, and, and so does McAvoy and Pashnak and, and, and Marshan and Bergeron. But now, I don't think the Bruins are gonna feel like well, we're gonna get Taylor his looks too down there. Whereas Foligno. He could just sit sit at the crease and eat some candy corn and and and, and, <laughs> and wait for, and, just, and just sit in front of the goalie, and I think that the best way to say it is like you said it, Scott is um, oftentimes in the, on a top unit less is more. And Felino knows his role not just on the power play too. That's one of the reasons why the Bruins targeted him is just because in general his sense of the game and his role, like he knows what he's going to do. As well, he's actually been moved around because of the Smith injury, but um, he knows what he would typically do as a third line winger. He knows what his role is there, and he knows what his role is on the power play. So, I think he could he could end up passing some of the grades that Scott gave to the others. Um, I don't know, Scott. When when are you willing to to say you've seen enough from him to to grade him? Uh, a few more games, I'd say, especially in five and five like that. So that line of Hall, Coyle, Felino, obviously had a good game Sunday where Coyle scores twice, uh, both during like half line changes. Like they were neither one of Coyle's goals was with Hall and Felino on the ice, um, but all three of them were out there for McAvoy's five and five goal, the one where he crashes into Felino. So you know, basically. At least like two thirds of, or at least one member of the line was out there for three goals. So that's highly encouraging. And Felino was part of that. He's, you know, right in front of the net on McAvoy's goal, wreaking havoc um, on the five and five goal. And then also right in front of the net on McAvoy's power play goal, you know, helping to set that screen, create traffic around there. So that's what you want. He's been, you know, he's been physical. Obviously, we know that's part of his game. Um, he's been active on the four check, so that's what you want to see. And now, you know, let's 
see if he can build with with whether it's Coyle and Hall. I think they might stick with that for a little bit. Um, even with Craig Smith set to return this weekend, I think you might see a little more run of Smith in the third line and see how that goes until he really gets his game back because Smith hasn't had his game all season and injuries have been certainly been a big part of that. But, you know, I think they'll let him try to find it on that third line, especially if Felino's doing what he needs to do to complement Coyle and Hall. With uh, Quickly on Craig Smith, I think, you know, although the whole team has struggled to score outside of the top guys this year, if if you if you tell me right right here and now that Craig Smith will be contrib- contributing to this team the way we know he can for the second half of the season into the playoffs, I'll take that. I don't I don't yeah. need him on fire right now, but eventually he'll have to get going. But um, one last point on the power play um, about McAvoy as well, because I think it helps his confidence five on five too when he's getting looks from the top of the umbrella. But I'm gonna bring up Tampa once again just because of how good and how dominant they've been on the power play in recent years. Uh, Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov, they are not nearly as dangerous without the threat of Victor Hedman shooting, right? So if if, if teams overcommit to Stamkos or Kucherov on the half wall with their one-timers, Victor Hedman has never been hesitant in letting a, in letting a, a smart um, uh, a, a smart shot go at, at the proper height to be tipped or what. Never a back scratcher. It's is it's it's seldom a big slap shot. It's like it just gets it to the net with with purpose and. If McAvoy can start to do that, like if you go back and watch his his second goal against Montreal, um, you know Marshan was open for a return pass if he wanted to give it to him. Um, Pashnak, if 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 McAvoy decided to pass that to Pasta, that penalty killer stick was right there, right. So McAvoy made the right choice and 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 he shot the puck and it deflected off Fisher's stick and went top shelf. But that act of him shooting now. And if he, that hopefully in theory will open up Pashnak a little bit more throughout the year. And and furthermore, when you have a power play, the first thing you want to do in the first 10 seconds is get a shot off because it gets the penalty killers out of their box and it just it just kind of gets them scrambling. And when the Bruins want to do this, like, um, what did Cassie say? I said it earlier. Like, they like to uh, like be fluid. Like, whatever. They, yeah. they, they cycle? Like, not cycle. Like, um, <laughs> when Taylor Hall's in the pop, I said it like five minutes ago. What's the term Cassidy uses? I mean, flu- fluid works. I don't, yeah, I, yeah, fluid I don't remember works. what you said. I don't really yeah. listen when you talk. So. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> uh, but when McAvoy can get a shot in the first 10 seconds, it gets the penalty killers out of their box. Now there's loose pucks, and that's when, you know, passing seems open up. So him having a shot first mentality is is very important to their success going forward in the power play, whether, whether it's Hall or, or Foligno. Yeah, if I just... Had to make one minor critique of Magavoy. One area he still has to work on is I think he still misses the net too much, and especially on the power play, that can be a killer. If you're the one who has a chance for a one timer and you blast it wide and it rims around and comes out of the zone, like that's the best kind of clear if you're the PK. Um, and he still does that a little too much, where especially on one timers, I think he's off target too much. Yeah. So this still work, but yes, especially that kind of situation where it's. Not a one timer, but you have room to step up and take a shot. Like, yeah, that's that's what you need him to do, and it looks like he's getting more comfortable doing that. Um, so we're gonna get to the the secondary scoring, which slowly but surely is starting to starting to show up on the scoreboard. But before we do, I, I did want to start with the defense because just I think it leads, I think it helps lead to offense anyway. So dating back to that Oilers game, I mean, anybody not named 
Charlie McAvoy and Matt Grizzlick has really had a, and even Grizzlick hasn't I don't think been up to his his par for most of this year with moving the puck. Um, but anybody outside of those two guys just haven't really been pushing the pace in the back end and in, the, in the transition game. And you know, in our season preview, I, I talked I, I brought up Brandon Carlo and his importance this year and taking that next step. And you know, he was brutal obviously against the Oilers. He said it himself. But I mean, that turnover to the dry side it was just I mean, it's inexcusable. If if you watch it. Even if he doesn't whiff on it, and it's a hard, crisp pass, it's still getting picked off. Yeah. So it was just it was it was a bonehead play. He didn't even see the how you don't see the the the, the F one. I I don't know. Um, it's not like he was like hiding behind a centerman. He's right in front of you. Who, by the way, also happens to be one of the two best offensive players in the league. So. <laughs> Thirty one points in fourteen games is 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 crazy. Um, I think actually I, I I read or I heard that thirty one points through fourteen games is uh the fastest clip uh, to get that many points since I think Lemieux did it back in the 80s or something. I don't know, something crazy like that. But, um, so then, you know, so it's been a, it's been a problem for the Bruins is transitioning to puck, okay? So for the New Jersey game, they insert um, uh, Jakob Saboro, who we talked about it last week, I think. He got in against the Hurricanes a few weeks ago and wasn't very good. But I'll take a mistake from him here and there because... He 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 does push the pace and he does make a good first pass when he's on his game. And he, I think his his um, presence in the lineup has really helped um, the Bruins' uh, offensive game, starting from the back end and transition. Yeah, and Saboral doing that is it's also why Mike Riley is the one sitting right now because he hasn't done that enough, and he has the ability to do that. Like Riley isn't quite the skater that Grizzly, certainly not that Grizzly or McAvoy is. But Riley can move, and he's a good, pa- generally a good passer. He, you know, he'll make his mistake mistakes here and there. But Cassidy said this. He's he said like, and we've seen it. You know, Riley too often this season will get the puck, and instead of going forward, he kind of like circles back or he holds on to it, and he just looks really hesitant out there. And like, I don't know if, I don't know, I don't know if he's not seeing things right or. You know, early in the season, he had a couple times where he tried to rush up ice and turned it over. You know, if that's kind of in his head now, where he, now he doesn't have the confidence to do it or try it. Um, but he hasn't been doing enough of that, and and you need him to because like that that's why he's there. Like he's not. We know the defensive side of the game is not his strength, so he's there to to move the puck and be involved in transition and on offense. And if he's getting the puck and slowing things down and cycling back and you know, kind of causing the transition game to stagnate, then, like, then what is he there for? Um, so you bring in Zaboral, who Cassidy said has been practicing really well, uh, has now on numerous occasions highlighted that as, like, the biggest change for Zaboral from years past is that he's bringing it every day in practice, whereas it sounds like he had a tendency in the past to maybe – you know, take a drill off here and there, Say, not oh, give it, well, all, not oh, give it well. all his all in practice. Um, and he's come in, and you know, I think I think he's been fine. Like like you said, I think he has brought some good stuff in transition and has been able to do that. Um, he's also made a couple of mistakes. He whiffs on a, on a hit when he should really be going for the puck. Uh, I think that was the was that the Devils game? No, it was or uh, Montreal. It was the Montreal. Yeah. Led to their second goal. Yeah. Well, eventually, it was kind of a broken play afterwards. It didn't yeah, directly lead to it, but right. Yeah. Um, 
So, like, obviously stuff to clean up, and, you know, I don't know if Zaboral's gonna take a job and run with it. You know, we'll see well, if he's back in this weekend, but there's an opportunity there, because, to Brian's point, it's not like there's six defensemen who've been playing great, so, you know, if someone can step up and force their way in, then, you know, even though other guys are veterans or whatever, like, Cassie will play Zaboral if he's doing what he's asked to do. Quick thought on Zaboral and then Riley. So something that, by the way, the media was able to talk to Zaboral today. Um, what's today? Tuesday? Yes. Um, so the media was able to talk to him today. And something that they kept asking him and Cassidy, because Cassidy answered a lot of questions about Zaboral today as well, um, was about... Was it this whole first-round draft pick mentality where you come into the league and you've always been that guy that, like, if you have a bad practice, it's like, oh, well, you're still you're still going to be successful in those lower levels. And then you come in and you have to learn a different way to handle practice, right? And then, so Cassidy's been making sure he steps up in that category and he sees improvement. But Cassidy would not commit to say he thought Saboral would be someone who would play 20 games in the year. Um, he didn't want to say what Zaboral's role would be or how much ice time he would see. But to go back to the Riley point, Cassidy mentioned that he wanted him to watch the game from the ninth floor. He wanted him to see the whole ice. And now there's going to be an adjustment where I believe Cassidy is going to keep the Grizzly-Carlo pairing and he wants Riley to drop down to the third pair, play on the right side of Clifton. I mean, yeah, and just to clarify, I think... I think Cassidy meant a twenty games like twenty game consecutive stint for Zaboral. Oh really? Yeah, I, I think that I think yeah. that, that's how I took it. Yeah. So like, I, I think somebody asked him like, "Are you are you tempted to just give him a twenty game look?" You know what I mean? As opposed to yeah. like in and out like Seneca. Um He just wouldn't. Either he, way, he wouldn't yeah. really say how much well, you know time. Why? You know why? Because because and this is the this is the reality of the situation is that it is a business, right? And, and, and Cassidy said as much. He's like, "Look, there's in a perfect world." You like to be able to develop these guys, but you know I'm paid to win right now, and so there's a short term outlook as well. Um, but I do think you're going to see on Saturdays Zaboro will be in, and I think you might see Riley in, and I think Clifton might be the odd man out because I think Cassidy does want to give Zaboro a look. And to your to your point, Bridget, about him being a first round draft pick, a lot of expectation comes with that. And you know um, Zaboro, interestingly enough, made a comment about how he of social media because he was just getting harassed and bombarded over the years, um, you know, which is which which is unfortunate. But you know, I, I'm guilty here and there of ragging on a guy, but that's I'll rag on a guy if I don't like his effort during a game. Like I, I don't really think I would just you know randomly say something like that. But anyway, so he talked about how he was in a better headspace, and he also talked about how last year he he got two concussions, one against the Rangers when Truba hit him, and then one shortly thereafter. And he said he was hesitant to go into the corners and pay the price physically, and you know. He also said he thought he played well, and the coaches said he didn't play well. <laughs> which, which, like, look, I mean, that's it's 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 good that he's he's come around to see, like, okay, they were right. Like, I was hesitant, and and this and that, and I just think that look, Zaboro pound for pound is a better skater than Riley. Like Riley's, Riley's a good skater, but he has longer strides. Zaboro, when he was drafted, like it's easy to look back in hindsight and be like, well, that was a bust, and the Bruins whiffed on those three picks. But the reality is. Um, Zaboro was, he went 13th or 14th overall, whatever it was. He was also, he was ranked one position higher by North American Central Scouting than he actually ended up going. So yeah. he was ranked as a top 15 player. 
and he has that skill set. Um, now, granted, fast forward six years, you've had six more drafts where now there's kids that are younger and equally as fast, not faster than him. So when you watch him, he might not jump out as a fast skater, but that's because everybody's fast. He is a very good skater, and when the Bruins have a good transition game going, all of a sudden the forwards look faster, right? So if he can help that, like I said, I would be willing to live with the mistake here and there from Zborl because he also will help the game. And, you know, that hit, he, he went for a hit against Montreal, like Scott said, and eventually it ended up in a goal for the Canadians, but it was a pinball goal. It was an indirect decision that he made that led to a goal, but at least he was trying to impact the game in a positive way. It wasn't like he was being passive. He was trying to make a big hit. You got to know when to, and if you're going to do it, make sure you make contact. But my point is, I think in the short term, I think he helps their 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 puck mobility on the back end, and it, and, it, and it makes the forwards all of a sudden seem faster to the eye, to the naked eye, and that that's what I've seen in the last two games with him. And I didn't see that when he was in the lineup against Carolina a few weeks ago. I thought he looked slow, and on the contrary, the last two games, um, he seemed to be the player that like he can be. Yeah, and so you know we'll see how they what they use going forward because there was also. Uh, Tuesday's practice, you know, according to I wasn't there Tuesday, but according to people who are there, um, there were also some Riley Zaboral shifts where Clifton was the one out on the drill. So that could be another option too. And you know, I, I would say like I don't think Clifton's really taking a spot and run with it. Like he said, some good games, some tough games. For the most part, I would say has been you know fairly average, mediocre this season. Like. So, you know, we'll see. Like, that could be another way that Riley gets back in, and it would probably be Zaboro moving over to the right side, to his offside, I would guess, which he's done a little bit of in the past. So, um, you know, the the tinkering continues, and not as much of it in terms of personnel in the back end because it's really only been, you know, John Moore got, like, his one game and has, you know, not been back since. Um so it's really only Zaboro that gets in, and now you have seven guys competing for six spots. Um, how about, do we want to transition to tinkering up front? Yeah, I was going to just say quickly that it's not just tinkering, though. It's also Cassidy sending a message to a lot of guys. I mean, there's very few players he hasn't sent an early message to this season, and by sitting Riley, he's sending a message by bringing up Zaboro, by moving Fleeto to the power play, by... You know, he criticized Taylor Hall a little bit a few weeks or a week ago. Um, he's been publicly sending a message in his press conference, and he's been showing it with his actions on where he's willing to move guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, 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 you have it. At the end of the day, you have a job to do. You're a professional athlete. And I think that, you know, while the Bruins have, I do believe at the, at the end of the day, I think that this team could play their hearts out every night. But it won't be good enough to win a cup. They still have personnel issues, but they are a lot better than what they were showing for you know much of the first ten games, especially offensively. And there's and you know so to Scott's point, we can move along to 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 the offense of late. Yeah, because it's been more, you know, in part because of injuries and in part because you just need to try to get something going, especially in your bottom nine. It's you know now you have. Craig Smith missing a couple games again, and he's supposed to be back this weekend. Uh, Trent Frederick injured, which, you know, I think we're pretty safe to assume is a concussion. He took that huge hit against Edmonton and has not played since. It doesn't 
Cassidy said on Tuesday he still has some hurdles to clear. So yeah, he said I this, wouldn't call him close to going out yeah, with us. So this weekend seems like a long shot. Um, I think Anton Bleed has been a really solid one for one replacement for Frederick. You know, brings a lot of what you want Frederick to bring, which is just kind of being a pest, being physical. You know, getting under guys' skin, just being annoying to play against, hard on the forecheck. Um, obviously, you know, bleed is fairly limited as an offensive player and you, you hope that Frederick has more upside, but we haven't really seen that. So, you know, I think bleeds done a good job and it, if he keeps playing like this, it's not necessarily going to be a given that Frederick will get that job back right when he's ready to come back, which is kind Um, of out of nowhere. Like I, I should explain what I mean by that. Bleed wasn't someone that most people would have thought would would steal that job on the fourth line. I mean, there were other players we we were talking about who could factor in there, and Bleed wasn't really one that we were talking about. Um, there's a good reason why he is, and there's a few roles that he plays for the team. Cassidy said uh, he's great. He's a, he's a great player when we have the lead, and early on when we're trying to establish the forecheck, those are two things that he brings to the team and he's not just a passenger in the games because he can do those things. Yeah, and he was... So, you know, it's... Maybe we forget about this now, but he made the opening night roster. Like, he's been yep. here from the start. And, and, and it hurt. was kind of surprising. Like, we, we were like, oh, that, like... Bleed got no, hurt? No one... No yeah, one, he was... A, yeah. yeah, he... When? Scott, you're going to like this. I had a conversation with him the other day in front of the popcorn machine uh, <laughs> where, where Scott usually hangs out, but... <laughs> But yeah, I was talking to him over there because uh, someone made a mess in front of the popcorn machine, and he was complaining about the mess. And I this was like, was and I was like I've, "I've cleaned up my popcorn." <laughs> and mess I was game. like, "It was Scott. much more efficient." <laughs> what? What? When did I? What? When did? When did he get hurt? Was it in preseason? No, um, he was hurt. Uh, this was like I want to say three weeks ago I that know, I saw I him up there him getting injured. But anyways, yeah, he, like he wasn't really playing much anyways. But yeah, he missed like a quite a few practices so 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 you to get back to what you were saying so people forget he made the opening night roster yeah sorry and, with and the popcorn we, side you know n- i don't think that many people had him projected to do so i think we figured there'd be other forwards that go with um but they they chose him for a reason and because they obviously saw that he there were things he brought that they felt could be valuable at some point in the near future and now we're seeing, like, you see what his role is on the fourth line and why he's a fit there. Um, plus, we, we also saw. You can go ahead if you have a. I was going to say, just plus, the fourth line has a lot of players that haven't been healthy. Lazar is somebody that's dealing with an injury that potentially could need surgery, but they're waiting to the end of the season. So um, there needs to be a few guys that can step in there. Yeah. And so Lazar sat Sunday's game because. You know, Cassie said he's dealing with a nagging thing, and he didn't directly say if it was the same injury he suffered in the preseason, but that's going to be something that nags because it was uh, an elbow subluxation. You know, I'm glad you remembered that word. Essentially dislocation, which like doesn't just magically heal on its own. Like That's something that's going to bother him all year, and yeah, obviously he can play through it and push, you know, push off surgery if that's even something he ends up needing, but it can't be comfortable. So now you have that to deal with where it's like, all right, well now you have another back to back this weekend. So we'll see if he can 
play both of those or if he again gets you know rest the second night um but you have you've had Kuhlman come back in you had Noshek get moved up to third line center and Halla drop down to the fourth line um so Halla finally scored got his first goal as a Bruin on Saturday against New Jersey um which you know doesn't negate all of his you know I think he's has not been very good so far this year. Was he your lowest graded person yeah. after 10 games? Yeah, I gave him a D. Um, Nobody got an F. <laughs> it's true. I didn't give anyone an F. Oh, my God. But, yeah, I mean, look, you need more from Hala. Imagine, sure. Scott, imagine Scott McLaughlin giving you a D for your job. <laughs> he <laughs> like, probably would give me a D. All the papers like, I turn in, all the all the articles hey, I turn in at 2 in the morning, and he's like, what the hell is this? Hey, pal, like, you know how good English. at your job you are? Scott McLaughlin? Yeah, he gave you a D. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Eric Hall is losing tons of sleep over it. I, I bet he really cares what I think of his play. Um, You're the final authority. But, no, but but look, you know, he's, you signed him to be your third-line center, and you expected your third line to score more than it did last year. And he had one point through ten games. So you, you definitely need more from him, and... You know, one goal is a start. We'll see if he can build off that. It's tough to do when you get seven weeks off between games. But uh, yeah, I know. I know. Brian wants to talk about the I, schedule. Honestly, but... I was going to, but I, it, it really does piss me off. I don't think I will. I think everybody knows how stupid the schedule has been. But um, yeah, I think uh, I, I expect them to to kind of get going again. Um, five days off now, but um, you know, Anton Bleed just quickly about him. I he, do have one last point yeah, on him too. Yeah, so he's a he's a perfect example of you know hard work pays off because like his skill set clearly is not at least offensively it's 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 really non-existent. I mean, maybe he could be a 25, 30 point scorer in the AHL, but um, you know Cassidy you know inserts him into the lineup, puts Carson Kuhlman back into the lineup against the Devils, and you know those two combine. Um, you know, Coleman starts that play. He 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 telegraphs uh, Ty Smith's pass, and then you know breaks into the offensive zone, drops back to bleed. He shoots it, and then Hollow gets the rebound. So you know you can sit here and say that if this if this secondary scoring gets going again, or not again, gets going for the first time this year, you know those two guys you know were an integral part in in, in helping jumpstart that, and so good for them. You know if if I'm not really trying to pick on them, just just to. I, I, but I genuinely mean this. Like, if if somebody like Jake DeBrusque had, you know, Anton Bleed's motor or or not motor, he has his motor if he wants to use it. I should say work ethic. I mean, he he would be a, no doubt about it, a thirty goal scorer every single year. Like, there's a reason Bleed works as hard as he does. It's because he has to. And somebody like DeBrusque or somebody who has more talent, you know, they've been able to get by on talents a lot for most of their of their lives and. You know, with somebody like DeBrusque, it's annoying because like I've seen him work hard a lot when he was younger. But you know, if if you take a little bit of Anton Bleed, if if Bleed can maybe have, allow the coaching staff to point to to Bleed and tell somebody like DeBrusque or, or somebody else like or Stanika, like, hey, work as hard as this guy does, shift in and shift out, and it helps them out, then then you know, that, I guess it's a cherry on top. I guess this is only in my head. Mostly because we had Sean Thornton on the program earlier. We had Sean Thornton on with OMF um, 
He has a book out. That's why MF. he was MF. I still do this. I said I've it done before. this ever. Only Melania Fourier. It still works. <laughs> Only yeah. it still works. <laughs> so something that he was talking about, Sean Thornton was talking about, um, was how he knew he had to work harder than everyone, and he knew he had to work his ass off and practice to work on offense. And those same things apply to Anton Bleed because he brings the intangibles of being physical and bringing the energy, and that's what he's good at. But Cassidy said if he wants to have a regular role in the lineup, he needs to really focus on his offense in practice um, because he has those other things, but the offense isn't there. If he wants a regular role, that's what Cassidy said he needs to bring. Well, he, he can help lead to offense in different ways than the, the other ways than actually getting an assist on a play or scoring a goal. Like if He, he did, said it was his offensive confidence. That's Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's fair. But, I mean, look, if he can, if he can drive the net, and, and, and lead, lead to offensive zone time or, or, or you know, possession or, or goals just by going to the net, even if he doesn't figure in the actual scoring. Like, that, that look, that's more than Trent Frederick has done in his career so far. Like, again, Trent Frederick, like Scott said, has more talent than Anton Bleed. But you have to know what your job is on a certain line. And, you know, F- Frederick was terrible in the preseason. To his credit, he's been moving his feet better in the, in the regular season before he got hurt. Um, but... Can, can Anton Bleeding win a job in the fourth line? I mean, sure. I mean, I don't think I don't think their cup chances ride or die with who's on the fourth line on on, on that. Uh, what, was he on the right side, the left side, right yeah, side, left wing? Yeah. But um, it's a good story for now. And, and look, part of an NHL season is having guys come in and step up at different points of the year. Right now, you know, he's helping out. Coolman's helping out a little bit. Um, but just you know, one thing I, I I looked up before the podcast, I was just curious about this is uh, the point allocation right now amongst amongst the team because obviously it seems right and it, it, it's true that the top lines do most of the damage right so your top six scores in the Bruins are your top line uh, Marsh and Bergeron Pashnak and then you have McAvoy Coyle and, and Taylor Hall alright so those are your top six scores and I have it in front of me so they have 74 points combined this year the rest of the roster has combined for 30 points and that is 16 skaters, and that, that's anybody who's played at least one game for them this year. So that was up until right now. Now, that number was even worse before the Jersey yeah. game. So my point in saying that is that your top six scores have 74 points. The rest of your roster has 30. Okay. Well, at least now, Scott and Bridget, after the Jersey game and the Montreal game, a couple of guys have chipped in. Hall, you said, got his first. DeBrusque, empty netter, fine, but maybe that can help us. His, his his mentality going forward. Um, Coyle, look, say what you want about the first goal against Montreal. What goes off his chest, but where is he going? Yeah. He's going he's to the, the right spot. He's going to the crease. Create, and then, create your own luck. And then his second goal uh, was a thing of beauty. Um, and it's Yeah, he ball. beat his guy one-on-one and yeah. just... Yeah, exactly. He, he jumps off the bench, goes after, pursues a loose puck like a madman. Great finish. And then Taylor Hall, the birthday boy, gets a nice little gift at the end for the empty netter. So, Which, by the way, those five goals were all scored by guys in that top six yeah, yeah, I should, uh, in I, that game. Yeah, I, I should say that that, that that is true. But sometimes when it's not Pashnak, Macavall, uh, Pashnak Bergeron, and Marshan, it just seems like it's a, it's a, it's a depth goal. But, but um, you also had some other guys getting involved in that. Like, the the first McAvoy goal, Zaboral's the one leading that transition, you know, gets the puck. Goes up nice, makes a nice entry past it. I think it was Hall. Um, By the way, who then, did you consider in the top six? Felino wasn't in there, right? Who'd you have, Smith? Um, no. No, I, I was just listing off the top six point scores so far. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. McAvoy yeah. is yeah. the yes. forward there. But um, Felino is one of those guys who factored into that 
he, he's that power play goal. Yeah, yeah. And, and Coyle's second goal, that one where he swoops in and roofs it, DeBrusque it takes a hit to make the play, to get the puck in, yep. deep into the zone. So Credit where it's due there. Yeah. He needs to do that more. I mean, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying he needs to get put on his ass more. What I'm saying is he needs to be willing to be put on his ass yeah. more. It's that mentality of like, look, you got to take a hit. You got to make the right play. Like far, Look, against we kind of, we didn't even touch on this, but, you know, okay, Brandon Carlo had some glaring mistakes against the Oilers. I mean, Jake DeBrus got beat to the outside in his own wing multiple times, and it's not just the Oilers game. It's every single game, it seems like. It's like he knows where he's supposed to be based off of the of the whiteboard that, that they go over before games. Like, all right, Jake, you're the strong side wing. We want you here in this situation. If you're the weak side wing, we want you here. But that's great. You're in position. But when the play comes to you, you're just getting outworked, and and that you're getting out you're you're getting outworked by Cody Cece. Like Jake, everybody say, everybody says that Jake DeBrusque, for what it's worth, is the is the fastest goal line the goal line skater the Bruins have. Like if they were to do races at the end of practice, maybe that's before Taylor Hall got here. But he the kid can skate, and so it's hopefully he can he can get it going. But I feel like I've been saying this forever. But he's like he's just another cog in the wheel that that. Honest secondary scoring, and he's, then he, he needs to he needs to be a big time player for them if they want to do anything. If, if he's not going to be that, or at least try to be that, then they're going to make some moves with him at some point. But we'll see what he can do. Yeah, I I fear that we're starting to see some like the same inconsistency and off games and off shifts pop up from him. Whereas you know, I thought to start the year he was bringing a pretty consistent effort. He had, had a good preseason, obviously, and. Yeah, he hasn't had a ton of help from his line mates, but he shouldn't he shouldn't need to be relying on that. Like he should be the best player on that third line. And he should be the one driving play and helping to lift up whoever his line mates are. And he still had good games and look, it was just what like a week and a half ago that Cassidy sits Taylor Hall late and it's Jake DeBrus who gets promoted. So like He's still he's having good games, but we've also seen that inconsistency start to pop up. Where he, now he's also having off games and you know bad shifts and bad plays, and you maybe part of that is that you know he hasn't been scoring as much as he probably thought he was going to be going into the season because he scored a bunch in preseason. I think he scored opening night, and like you feel like everything's going well and he's having fun and. Now, I think there's at least a little bit of concern of, like, whether that's starting to turn. And maybe an empty net goal helps stave that off. But you just you need him to be bringing it more consistently. And that's been the issue with him his whole career is, like, he'll have good stretches. But, like, what happens when when the puck's not going in for him or when his line, you know, maybe his line mates are struggling – Whatever it is, is like he can't let that then start to creep into his game, and and now he starts struggling. It, like he just needs to, he needs to pick it up, and he needs to get going because he should be the best player in that line, and he should be a huge asset playing in a third line role. And we've seen, we've already seen stretches this year where he has been, um, but it's just not happening regularly. There's there's only a there's only probably I would say ten to fifteen players in the world that can consistently score at the, at the top level. So, like when you think of it that way, nobody's asking him to be a point per game guy. No one's asking him to be a forty five goal scorer, forty goal scorer. 
because to be a consistent scorer is a very, very incredible ask. And that's not what anybody wants him to be. But you have to be a consistent hard worker. And that, that needs to be the bare minimum. And let me tell you something. It's no big secret. If you're working hard, shift in and shift out, well, that's what will lead to the scoring. And, and, and if you're not scoring goals, there are countless other ways to help your team win a, win a shift, win a period, win a game, than just scoring. Get the, something as simple as a chip out of the, of the defensive zone Look, it might not be a breakaway goal, but that could lead to a goal a minute and a half later for some reason. Maybe it leads to an offensive zone time, and then an offensive zone faceoff that leads to a goal. And you just got to do the little things. And I, I promise, if, 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 if he's listening, Jake, I promise that will lead to the offense. It, but you got, it has to start with the good habits. And somebody like Patrice Bergeron, Brad Martian, they exemplify that every single shift. And it seems like they're always getting rewarded, but that's because they're also the most talented guys in the world. But... <laughs> Like, you know, they Cassidy has said for for a year and a half now. When when talked about talking about Jake DeBrus, he always says, "What are you doing when you're not scoring? When you're not helping your team? Well, when you, when you're not on the score sheet, what are you doing to help your team win?" And you just gotta work hard, and and you don't need any skill to move your legs. I mean, look no further than Anton Blee, like I said earlier. So if he's if if he brings that consistent work ethic, like the the offense will come. But the offense isn't coming because he's not bringing the work ethic. It's 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 that simple. It's it's really it really yeah, is. Like if you make you if you do the right thing against Cody CC and cut him off, you know, get in front of him, break that play up instead of letting him get around you and get the puck to the front of the net. Like maybe you're getting that puck going the other way, and now you're in transition. And instead, your the defensive work isn't there, and now it's a now it's a goal against. And if it's okay with you guys, because um, we're getting a little bit late into the podcast, there is another topic that I think is important to talk about. And uh, it's Swayman and the, the net situation, because Swayman goes both games back to back. And some people are thinking that's an indication that Cassidy's tipping his hand a little bit in terms of who he thinks is the better goaltender. Do you guys think he's tipping his hand, or you just think that he was riding Swayman because he plays well at home and he wanted to just see what he could handle back-to-back? I think he was tipping his hand in the present, uh, and he even said as much. He said that right now Swayman's a little ahead of Olimark. Um That doesn't mean that they're committing to Swayman as their number one for the rest of the season, and he's going to get 75% of the starts. But up until this point, he hadn't said it either way. He hadn't yeah, hinted but, but, either way. But he has said that it would that they could go to more of a hot hand approach at times rather than just a strict 50-50 split where they're alternating games. So it's not that surprising. Like I think Allmark... It, <laughs> You know, look, he had the toughest game. He had to face Edmonton. Yes. And that's and his defense didn't help him out a whole lot. Um but he also the one consistent thing in Elmar's game this season is that he has not really bailed out his teammates. And you know, to an extent making the saves you're supposed to make is okay, that's that's solid, that's fine. But to be a good NHL goaltender, you also have to bail out your teammates, and you have to make saves 
on shots that could or maybe even should be goals. Like, it's not – you're not going to be an above-average goal in the NHL if you only stop the, the shots you're supposed to stop. So, you know, that can – like, it's easy to look at them and say, like, well, you know, he, he's not at fault on that or, you know – a lot of goalies would give up that goal. Okay, but you've got him to stop one or two of those at some point. And he hasn't. And, and, like, the stats bear that out. If you look at, like, high danger save percentage, he's close to the bottom of the league. Like, he's bottom five out of, like, 55 goalies that have played whatever the minutes cutoff is. Um, so, like, that's not good. And he was better last year, so he has it in him. He was top ten last year um, in high danger save percentage. So... He's done it, but he's not doing it this year. And I think that's the one area that Swayman has been much better. Is Swayman has taken away goals that, or, or made saves on real high danger sh- chances. Um, so I, I think that's when Cassie says Swayman's a little ahead of Allmark. That's where my head goes. Is Swayman is not just making the saves he's supposed to make. He's also making some that you know, are above and beyond, and Allmark hasn't been doing that. And to bring up another stat, um, Swayman at home in particular, which is where um, he was playing last game against the Canadians, has been so unbelievable this season that if you look at his save percentage at home, it's comparable to second best in the league behind Bobrovsky. So he at home, he is like a number two goalie in the league, um, which yeah. also factors into it, obviously. Yeah, I mean... I, I I simply think that Swayman's a better goalie. I think that you know Allmark is able to get away with certain plays and certain a certain style of play because he's a bigger guy. I mean, if all things are equal, if they're the same size, Swayman's a, he, he's a much he's a much he plays a position better. Simply put, I don't think Allmark's terrible. I think he's I think he's totally decent. Um, I thought the Bruins had a ton of poor poor. Um, I don't want to say coverage because they were in the right positions. Again, like if 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 you're looking at what the coaches where they want them to be in practice defensively, they're in the right spots, but they weren't hard on the puck at all. So it's like, what are you guys doing? Like that Hyman goal. Um, again, there's five other guys to blame before uh, Allmark on that goal. But when Hyman goes to the crease, you know Allmark is he looks like a fish out of water, like flopping forward. It's like, dude, you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta control that area of the ice and and and. and Play to your size there. Why? Why are you play mini hockey in that situation? Um, with that said, you know I think it's fair to question already. And um, this is not me trying to be controversial. I, I felt this way at the time. I, I just did. When where this team needed help on the back end in free agency and still do, and they needed help up front to allocate five million dollars to this guy for another four or five seasons. When you know that, like, Swayman's probably the kid, if not right now, very soon anyway, it just made no sense to me, and it still makes no sense to me. They could have gone out and signed a veteran. Hell, it seems like they could have stuck with, uh, they could have they could have ran the risk with, with, with Vladar, and he could have been a perfectly capable backup. It's not that Allmark isn't going to be decent in sharing the net with Swayman, but are you paying him $5 million to be a backup? And the term on that contract is the it, most puzzling. And, and and that's if they didn't have all these other needs. So, I mean, like, 
I don't know. It's it, it just it, I, I I felt this way at the time, and people tried to tell me I was wrong, and like Andrew no, Raycroft, me. Andrew Raycroft, yeah, Raycroft said he was high on that. That that was the uh, highest well, yeah. free agent. That was the best free agent signing the Bruins made, is what he said. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, but I mean from a from a like philosophical standpoint where like I, I I was never saying Allmark wasn't good. Like if people tried to tell me he was a good goalie, I, I don't I never disputed that. It was more about like the fit. It was it was more about the term of the contract and like like what what was your pressing need? And I guess uh, I guess where I differ with people was people didn't want to take the risk on a young tandem of Swayman and, and Vladar. They wanted the sure thing. Okay, well I mean I I must have missed all uh, Allmark's ten year veteran career where he's been a sure thing in that. Like people put way too much stock into a into a into fifty two glorified scrimmages last year. So again, I don't hate the player. I hate I hate Sweeney's decision making sometimes because I'm watching this team and they have so many glaring needs that they need to that they need to address should have addressed if they want to be the cream of the crop. And they didn't do so because they had to spend five million on somebody who already ten games in or whatever it is, thirteen Seems like he's going to be nothing but the backup this year. Oh, and by the way, like, not for nothing, but Tuka Rask is skating at Warrior. So, like, I was going to say, so we're like, walking down this road where we're about to talk about Tuka right, Rask. Like, why couldn't they have gone with, with, with Swayman, who, if you follow your gut, everybody knew he was going to be this, this player for them. Could, like, if, so if you're going to go with him till January, February, how many games is that as a starter? Get a decent backup for cheap. And you still have Tuka, who said he would willingly take less money to come back. For, and that just I and can know. I can I throw this in? Um, another another thing that um, Sean Thornton said on the show was they when asked, uh, they said you're friends with Tuka. Do you know what the plan is with him? And he said yes. I do know what the plan is with Tuca, but I can't tell you. Which means there's you can read into that a little bit where the team you you see the signs that he's working with the team. And we also know what Tuca has said where he only wants to play in Boston. So there's clearly some sort of scheme going on behind the scenes that they're not talking about with what they want to do with Tuca. And it do- it doesn't sound like there's nothing, right? It sounds like there is an intention well, there. Well, and also, so Sean Thornton's rela- relaying that from Tuca's angle because they're obviously close friends. And I think from Tuca's perspective, it is very clear what, what the plan is. Tuka wants to come back. He wants to play this year, and he wants to play for the Bruins. He's been clear about that basically from the get-go. Yeah, but if you want to listen to what he's, to what the like specific question was and what the specific Sean Thorne answer was, it did seem more like a plan that combined what management wanted and what Tuka wanted. Yeah, I think from the management perspective, I feel like, their approach right now is they feel like they still have at least another month before they have to make this decision. Um, and that's another month where they'll be able to get a read on what they have in goal already. Because I've felt like, and I still feel like, if Swayman and Ulmark are both playing really well and you have one of the best goalie tandems in the NHL, you don't need to bring back too good. There's not a spot for them. You don't need to spend money there. Even, you know, a million dollars or whatever. Like, you just don't need to do it. Like, if you have two goalies already playing really well. Uh, the problem is, is right now you don't have two goalies really playing well. You you basically have gotten league average to slightly below average goaltending this season. And so. I, I think the Tuka thing shows 
the fact that he's working at it warrior and there's this conversation a little bit shows that the Bruins aren't 100% confident with the tandem that they have. If there is some sort of a plan B being worked out, um, and if you're, I don't know if you're all Mark, you kind of see this and you just wonder, um, but it's going to be more of a conversation. Yeah. I think, I think generally, I think the Bruins management this year, this off season, I think, you know, they they lacked. Uh, I'll say they lacked. They uh, they lacked guts. I'll put it that way. I I don't want to be too crude. Um, but and what and what could be, you know, it could be like we don't want to talk about this, but it could be Bergeron's last season. Like they they legit are on a year to year like cup window basis, and when that's the case, you have to be willing to. To, 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 to take some risk and take some chances and this management group and maybe it's because well I mean, but again then they, they spent the money like they just spent it in the wrong places so I just don't I, look I don't get it I think that maybe Scott you can give me some uh, reason for optimism like could the Bruins trade all mark this year for something at the deadline is there is there is there a team that's going to be want to spend five million for what they think is a, a good contract for for a guy with term and that maybe I mean I I just don't know how it's going to play out. I, I think that the Bruins would be in such a better spot if they had some more faith in Swayman going into the year and thought they could... All you really need is a backup going into the year that could have got, got them like a 500 record as a backup until January. I mean, seriously. Like, yeah. It's stupid. And, and and I will give you credit because it, it was a first first guess for you. Like You were on this from the start. I was on... I didn't want to necessarily spend as much money as they spent on Allmark, but I was on board with the... I wasn't comfortable with... Swayman and Vladar because I thought they were too unproven and you could potentially fall into too much of a hole in the half a season before Rask would be ready. But even so, if you weren't comfortable with Swayman Vladar, you could be comfortable with Swayman at like Holby. name name a, a goaltender that you would have yeah. signed for a year to yeah. a lesser yeah. term. I would have resigned Halak for a backup behind Swayman honestly until Tuka came back. Like the, you don't need like, but again. It comes back to the fact the Bruins didn't have faith in Swayman being a starter, so they went out and got a, 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 a in their mind a bona fide one A because they didn't feel that a one that, that a backup would be a good enough safety plan, and that's on them. Like Swayman's your property; he's your prospect. You watch him more than anybody else, yet you didn't have the. And it's I, I don't know. It's it's like it just pisses me off because this team had had clear needs and 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 the, the organization didn't take. They didn't take the risk, and let me tell you something. Like, if it's time to take a risk, it's when thirty-seven could be on his last leg. Like, now's the time to do it because the second that Patrice Bergeron retires, we talked about this. Like, they go from cup contender or potential cup contender um, to mediocre at best. I'll, this is without me knowing if they would ever pull off some miraculous trade or something for somebody, but um, they certainly don't have the the organizational next guy right now. And and now you're in a situation where. You may have to mortgage that that future draft pick to get something right now at the deadline when you could have just managed your 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 free agent spe- uh, spending better and, and not have to potentially waste a first round draft pick again at this upcoming trade deadline. It's just frustrating. They, they mismanage everything everywhere you look, and they sprinkle in some good decisions here and there, and they're always competitive. But I don't know. It's just they're their own worst enemy sometimes. Yeah, and. <clears throat> Those decisions and the drafting, like those are the things that are gonna. To your point, like they've still been competitive, by and large, just about every year. But those are the things that are gonna be why we're gonna look back and say, 
Yeah, they won one cup, but it really feels like they should have won more. And like the, those are the kind of things that are going to be the reasons why, you know, if things don't come together this year or next year, why we'll look back on this era as being a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah, they could have easily won three. They absolutely could have. And don't forget, Scott, like, you know, not for nothing, it seems like the Bruins never really sign a big name on the back end, right, since Chara. And we're always hoping that they do, but we shouldn't be hoping for that because that's where you're supposed to be drafting and developing effective impact players in the back end. And they have, like, Carlo is one of them. I'm talking, this does not include McAvoy, obviously. Carlo is one of them. And he's, you know, looks like he's taking a step back. Um, you know, Grizzik was a good, he's a good good signing. Uh, did they, actually, they drafted No, they drafted him. And Grizzik. all three of those guys were drafted several years ago. But I yeah. believe like 2015 well, or before. Especially on the left side. And you've used two mid-first round picks on left shot defensemen in Zaboral and Vakanainen. And where the hell and, is Vakanainen right now? Yeah. Like, ser- talk about talk about a prospect who has literally fallen off, uh, fallen off a cliff. Um, I don't know if... Lindgren was a left shot or not, but like he, he is. He, yeah, he's a left shot, and he, and he traded him for. But again, at the time, like it kind of made sense. But uh, my point is, because they have not drafted efficiently enough at at defense outside of McAvoy, um, you know they're in a situation where they always have to try to upgrade from 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 outside. And so let me throw a name out to, to you guys because I feel like later in the year, you know, one team I was really hoping to struggle this year, and they're just spitting in my face right now is the Anaheim Ducks. Because Camp Fowler is a name that I've won on the Bruins for uh, with, with McAvoy for quite some time. He's a left shot. He's 29 years old. He's making six and a half a year, which is pretty manageable um, for another like four or five years. He has a um, he has to he has to he would have to waive his no his no movement clause to come somewhere to be a trade. I think. But you know that's somebody who I was like, okay, if if the Ducks suck this year, which I kind of thought they were going to at the deadline. Maybe he's somebody you could try to pry away from them. You'd have to probably wow Anaheim, including a first rounder and maybe a couple top prospects. But I don't even think you can you can sniff around him anymore because Anaheim looks to be uh, in good shape. Yeah, and he he might not have been that that expensive in terms of draft capital or prospects because while I like Cam Fowler, I would say he for the most part hasn't totally lived up to that contract. And hasn't quite reached his ceiling that I think people thought he was going to get. Now, he's still a solid top four defenseman. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, you know, I wonder if... I wouldn't be surprised if there are teams that view that contract as more of a turn-off. I don't know. I don't know what his trade market would be. But you, you have to give up, you know, I would say at least one top pick or prospect. Um, but I'd be curious, like, what the price would be beyond that. Um, and that's all, you know, the Bruins don't have a ton of cap space. You get more as the year goes on because it's, like, a, whatever they call it. Uh, I don't know. Like, accrued or, or whatever. But, like, you get you have more come the trade deadline than you have now. Um, so they could probably find a way to make that something like that work. Yeah. And so. just one final thought about the goalie situation. The Bruins' next two games are at Philadelphia on Saturday and then versus Calgary on Sunday. Obviously, that should be a split in net, but yeah. what do you do there? So Cassidy said like his plan was most likely going to be 
Allmark Saturday, Swayman Sunday. Which would put Swayman playing at home again. Yeah. And also gets Allmark back in there. And that's different than last week because last week you went from a 1 o'clock game to 7 p.m., which is like you know another half day of rest, versus this weekend it's 7 o'clock both nights. So, yeah, split makes sense there. And then, then you finally get into a normal schedule for like a long stretch. So now you, you actually can... Now there actually is an opportunity to get both goalies and at least some sort of rhythm where they're both playing multiple games a week or, you know, or what, three games in two weeks or at least like a fairly normal rotation. Yeah, they're playing about three games a week. Yeah. The next few weeks. So, and, you know, Cassie has talked about how they really haven't been able to do that because the schedule has been so stop and start that it's like, all right, so a guy might play two games in four days and then he's not playing for a week. So part of the reason why Swimming gets the, that back-to-back last weekend, in addition to having to just playing better than Allmark at that point... Is the rest is, that you're going to get, the five days. Well, that and it was, you know, he said he talked to goalie Bob, and it was like, look, we think we at least have one goalie going right now. We haven't been able to get both going because we, we just don't have a normal schedule. So they went, they roll Swimming because, hey... At least he's going. Like at least he has some momentum, and then you get to this break, and you'll figure out how to try to get Allmark going. After that, yeah, I think I think once Saturday comes around, uh, I think Allmark will get the start because by that point in time, it will have been probably like, you know, a, a full week and a half probably since he played. And you know, the first time the Bruins played Philly, the second game of the year, um, was. You know, to date, Swayman's worst performance as a as an NHL goalie, and so I don't think it hurts. For the Brewers to give Philly something to look at differently in yeah. goal, and uh, I think that's probably how they'll go about go about doing that. Yeah, um, but yeah, the uh, I promise I wasn't going to talk about it, but you did just bring it up again, and I was pissed off earlier. And I the still schedule. <laughs> I don't, Bridget. Riddle me this: the Bruins have played the least amount of games in the league. Well, one team has played one game fewer. They've played so for, let's just call it the, the least amount of games played in the league. So if you have the least amount of games played, how on earth do you have another five-day break where everybody else gets to keep playing? Not to mention, it's the five-day break, the third of the season, is sandwiched between two sets of back-to-backs. So who's sitting there making the schedule going, let's give the Bruins two games here in a row, give them five days off, and then two more games in a row? It, it, meanwhile, the rest of the league continues to just pile up more games played. And I understand... I t- it makes this, it harder to gauge where they are in the league. Totally. But furthermore, I, I said to Scott, to Scott earlier... Yes, it makes it tough to gauge where they are compared to everybody else. Because, all right, yeah, Detroit and Buffalo are better than them in the standings, but they also get six more games played and one more point. Yeah. But, uh, look, I, I understand, you know, once April comes around, everybody's going to have played 82 games. But especially early on when you're trying to find, you establish your team's identity and people are trying to, you know, get their first their first of the year, my first, my first fight, my first goal, my first assist, my first whatever, um, you know, the Bruins, it's it's a competitive disadvantage to, to have to have this. Re- I've never seen a schedule like this. Don't forget, they they didn't start the season until five days after the first game of the NHL season. So it's just they've been constantly playing catch up, and it's just a bunch of random back to backs, and then it's five day breaks. I don't understand it, and, yeah. and you can't tell me building availabilities and all oh, the Celtics are playing the Jazz on this. Come on, give yeah, me a break. They had the Bruins had one game played. While other teams were already up to four games played. And since then, they've had a four-day break and a five-day break. 
And they don't have another break like that the rest of the season other than the Olympic break. Yeah, can I just say in February they only have four games? Yeah, that's because of the Olympics. That's... I know it is, but if you actually look at when the Olympics start, there's still quite a few extra days. Well, because they have to build in travel and all yeah, that. They, yeah, they have going. about three weeks off in total. They have a, they have three weeks in a day off, exactly. I, I, I honestly got, I, I feel like, Bridget, you may have to double check this for me, but I'm pretty sure the Bruins are scheduled to finish their season during the second round of the playoffs. <laughs> uh, at, this, at this point. I well, and the, the flip side, so we're talking about how they haven't found momentum yet. The flip side is, is they now have one of the most condensed schedules starting this weekend. One of the most condensed schedules in the NHL between then and the Olympic break. And then one of the most condensed schedules from after the Olympic March. break to the end of the season. So you're like if you're gonna have these built in, you know, almost bye weeks, whether it's four or five day breaks, you would really prefer to for one of them to be later in the year. Like you could use one of those in March. You don't need three of them before Thanksgiving. Like it's insane. Yeah, and, and and like for many reasons it pisses me off because you know the Bruins after eleven games the last two twelve and thirteen it's like okay they're 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 starting to you know find a little secondary scoring you know whether it's empty net goals or whatever it doesn't matter they're starting to get going a little bit and now they got to go to Warrior for five days straight in practice and then to Scott's point about the condensed schedule going forward it's like well now it's like. Players are just more vulnerable to injury when you're playing so so often. It just, I, it, it's annoying to me. Like everybody else seems to be p- playing at this really good pace. Like every every team in the league, for the most part, they're they're somewhere between like you know, fifteen and seventeen games or sixteen games, and the Bruins are at thirteen. And it doesn't seem like it's that much, but but it is. And and it's just like you gotta be on a, on an every other day basis. Like three games a week is perfect. We talked about that. Well, there's. Uh... In the last month of the season, in April, they have two back to backs, and they also have two, uh, two game, uh, two weeks that they're playing four games a week. Yeah, I'm looking at Bridget's screen over here, and it's literally it's every other day they're playing for a month, and then a couple back to backs. Oh yeah, back to backs. This a, is this is a four game week. This is a four game week. Here's another back to back, and only, same thing in March. The only the only what month is that? April. The only two days off, the only two day breaks they have, they have two two day breaks in April, but they're both coming off back to back games. And by the way, like God forbid you happen to have an injury there where you want to make sure a guy's ready to go for the playoffs, they're gonna be missing more games because you have such a condensed schedule. It's yeah. It's just annoying. That's all. It's what day right. is the first scheduled playoff game? It'll so it'll probably be like that Tuesday or Wednesday after that final weekend. Which only gives the Bruins like two days. Yeah, the, the, so I think the Bruins wrap up on a Friday, right? I think hey, the last game's a Friday. Hey, let, let, let's 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 not let's not jump in front of the yeah. horse here. Let's hope they get there first. It's the twenty nine hey, on points percentage. They're back in playoff position. They're seventh in the conference. Uh, you know, yeah. Again, you know, a lot of what we talk about uh, here on the podcast is you know we're, we're kind of nitpicking because we're so close to, to to this team. We watch them every single game. It's like you know we're obviously going to talk about what concerns us more than what makes us optimistic. It is important to to note, you know, David Pashnak, again, he, I think he's around a point a game, so he's playing fine. He has another level to get to. He will. And the secondary scoring uh, has barely shown up yet. And the goaltending has been iffy, specifically with Allmark more so. And here they are at 8-5. and five. So, like, you know, there's still three games above 500. And yeah, and, put, and you also figure at some point they'll... Some of those losses will be in overtime and shootout. Like they'll right. 
they'll find a way to get games and get that extra point, which I think like they're one of the few teams that hasn't had a loser point yet this season. Right. So, you know, obviously you prefer to win if you get to overtime or shootout, yeah. but th- th- they've had a lot of these games where they've given up a lead, given up the lead in the third period and not been able to even hold on to get to overtime, which is, that's something that'll happen more often as we go through the season too. Yep. And uh, one other thing, I, I don't want to get into it today because we'll end up talking about it. What is it, your fashion segment? Oh, my fashion segment. Uh, I don't. I don't have anything off 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 cuff right now. They're still wearing the third jerseys too much. That is true. That is true. <laughs> What's happening? Jesus, I mean, even I, my mom noticed it, and she doesn't very intently watch. It's but... absurd. Yeah, at least, at least they've, at least they've won two of the last three. They were losing like every single time they played them before. But um, we talked briefly last week or the week before about the potential of at some point and. They're not going to do it right now, nor should they, I don't think. But if, if secondary scoring does stay an issue long-term about dropping pasta with Coyle and Hall, they you mentioned earlier, they they did combine for, for a goal during a line change, uh, Coyle's first goal against Montreal. You know, so I, I could see a situation where potentially those three could maybe find something at some point. I mean, I don't know if we want to dive into that. I know it's late into the podcast, but I... Because they scored a goal, they combined for a goal, uh, an, the game-winning goal. I thought I would bring it up real quick. If 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 they continue to struggle um, team-wide scoring at some point, yeah, I think they'll they'll give Felino a decent run here and see if he can help that second line and if they can find if they can click. Um, Smith Smithy, whatever line it's on, you just have to get him healthy and up to speed, like. You know, for him to basically be a complete non-factor offensively this year is obviously a huge part of like why the secondary scoring has struggled. Because and it was an, an unexpected part to this yeah, equation. Because generally, in an eighty-two game season, like you can pencil Craig Smith in for twenty goals. You think just just let's start there. Slow start last year too. You said yeah, that before, and then finally got going. Yeah. So see if he can get us. See if he can be healthy. You know, hopefully after this break, he is. And then get his game going, whatever line that ends up being on. But it, he can be such a difference maker at once, if and when he gets going. Um, because we've seen it. We've seen him. Yeah. He was a difference maker for this team the second half of last year into the playoffs. And he can, and I, I think will be that again this year, just because his entire track record tells us that he'll be that. Unless this injury is something that, that lingers longer, which would obviously really suck for the Bruins. I mean, you got, you got like three or four guys in your middle six that are capable, outside of the big guns, that are capable of, in theory, scoring 20 goals apiece. Like, if they play, if they, like, like Jake DeBrusque, Craig Smith, Nick Foligno, and, like, Eric Hollick, like, in theory, could do 15. I mean, he's, he's done 29 before. Like, if all went well with these players, like, these guys, if these guys are putting in 15, 20 goals, we have a much different, you know, tone talking about this team. It's really early. We'll see how we'll, we'll see how it pans out, but um, I, I have one. Yes. I just thought of one last thing. Yes. Um, because I was looking at this ridiculous schedule, and they play the Penguins twice, um, in April. The Fenway Sports Group mm-hmm. may be trying to acquire the Pittsburgh Penguins in a. Oh, they, the they, major- are they, they, they are acquiring the Penguins. It's basically <laughs> at the finish line. Yeah. So. They'll be the majority shareholder, and Mario Lemieux will be the minority shareholder. Yeah. Um, which is just weird. Yeah, I mean, look, the John Henry is going to go out and sign, you know, a prize top left defenseman at the, de- <laughs> at the uh, next year in the off season, and just 
really directly impact the Bruins. And uh, well, uh, there will be some weird conversations to be had with that. Well, well, all joking aside, like like when the Bruins go to Fenway for like different events, like and like they they have them on the field. I don't know. Is that going to happen going forward? Also, the first thing I thought of is what's going to happen with Nesson because Nesson is owned eighty percent by the Red Sox and twenty percent by the Bruins or Delaware North, whoever it's technically under. Uh, but like, is the NHL going to allow you know John Henry and Fenway Sports Group to own one team and be in TV business with another? Like, we haven't heard anything about that. I you know. We'll see. Obviously, it's a ways off, but well, I guess like, it wouldn't the answer be yes because they're allowed. Like they haven't stopped this buy this buy into it. Maybe they'll turn it to uh, um, MSG MSG's network, where it's like the Rangers are on MSG, the Islanders are on MSG plus, the Sabers are on MSG plus plus, and then the Devils are on MSG plus times three. <laughs> 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 to the third. That is how I think. I think all four of those teams are on MSG. I, I don't like. D- different variations. Hey, I'd be cool with getting the Penguins and the Bruins as long as they don't interfere with imagine, each other. Could you imagine? <laughs> could you imagine? Is Jack going to call the Penguins play-by-play guy? <laughs> no, I'll be, I'll oh, be there. Oh, dirty Martian, <laughs> Slowfoot Santa kid. <laughs> no, Get I'll, him out of the league. I'll, I'll put my name in to be hired as the Penguins play-by-play yeah. broadcaster. No, take, take Jack's job as the as the bees. You and you and Brick. I, I'd be cool with that. Um, yeah, that is a, John Henry. This this guy just keeps. He's very. He's I mean, very, that, very unlikable as a public figure. We, we knew something would be coming because Fen, when Fenway Sports Group like expanded and brought in more, like shareholders and minority owners. I don't think this was like last year. They basically said like they want to have a team like every sport. Like they want to add more European soccer teams. They wanted hockey. They want basketball, football. Like, and they'll get it eventually. Like they're gonna be just a mega empire and they will have teams across all sports and there will be no community th- connection between any of them. Like they're just going to take whatever they can find where mm. it's like, you know, Red Sox and Liverpool, like, there's no commonality there. Now you throw in Pittsburgh and it's like, they're never, they're never going to feel like, like a part of those communities. Like, you know, they've had, they've been the most successful owners in Red Sox history They've won four World Series for a team that hadn't won in 86 years, and yet, like, they're still viewed as outsiders and just, like, these awkward dudes who, like, don't fit in, or like, anywhere around the team. And it's like, well, yeah, because like, that's what they are. And yeah. business is always first for them. Like, they're not... They were not Red Sox fans. They oh, were they not Liverpool no, fans. They, <laughs> they were not... They've None of them have ever been a Penguins fan. Like, no. and, Do you think they, they even know because, sports... <laughs> They know money. Yeah, they, know they know money. money. That's and they know they, they know sports make money. Let's play but sports like, ball. Little, little things though, like you know, every every season, like when uh, you know, all, all the boss, all the Boston sports teams act like a fraternity, right? Like every time a season begins, they all wish each other luck on social media, the playoffs, whatever. So the Red Sox, like, are they going to wish the Bruins luck with with little with with, with Wally wearing a wearing a Bruins jersey next year? Is it, it going to be the Penguins they're wishing luck mm. or both? Good point. Conflict uh, of interest. That some... wouldn't that would well, not the... go over. Like Boston man. <laughs> Would crucify them well, if they wore a, had Wally hey, wear a Pittsburgh jersey. Look, it, oh, he's is, a Sidney uh, Crosby fan. Is, is Craig Smith, Nick Foligno, and Taylor Hall are they throwing out the first pitches this past season? If they're owned by, if the Penguins are owned by John Henry, or if, if yeah, if, if yeah, if they share their owners as the uh, Red Sox, the Penguins do. I don't know. I don't know if the Bruins they're going to try to distance themselves. Is 
Are the Bru- Will the Pittsburgh Penguins be playing a home winter classic at Fenway Park in the near future? Stay tuned. They <laughs> oh, might I'd be. L- I would like that. Bruins, Bruins, Penguins. Oh, no, 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 no. The Bruins wouldn't be included. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, they're not owned by Fenway Sports Group. They're getting ousted. But, uh, yeah, that, that, that is an interesting uh, nugget of information, Bridget. I, I did see that earlier. So, yeah, John Henry keeps making waves in the world of sports. That son of a bitch. <laughs> you guys good? Anything else? No, nah, right. I'm good. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. That well, Scott, you want you want to close the podcast? Have a nice week, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Scott. We'll be back next week for episode seventy. <laughs> <laughs>